So it was 1998. I was five, you were 13, yeah. and dad was 34 years old when he decided to move the entire family down to Denver, specifically in Highlands Ranch, and plant Jubilee Fellowship Church. You know, we started in a school and eventually went to a storefront and then to um, a building and then multiple campuses. But some of the things that I can remember that were foundational to our DNA is discovering and recovering the promises of God. Jubilee wasn't just, you know, a building. It was a community of people that were gathering together to figure out what all of this is about. In Leviticus, it talks about the year of Jubilee. And one thing that that has always done and preached about and put in the foundations of this church is about the promises, the blessing, and the healing of God. When I think of people in the history of JFC, I think one thing is that they've always been able to say the second that they walk in, they can feel the presence and blessing of God. The year of Jubilee isn't just some old teachings, it's a lifestyle. Good morning. Super glad that you are here. Um, man, um, if you're a parent, to watch your kids talk about a legacy um, and to hear them express things that, uh, you know, are, are things that you've worked really hard for and things that you're not always sure, you know, do they get it? Do they, do they get it? See something like that is, um, it's really good for me. And it's really, uh, it's wonderful for me to see that. Part of why we're using that and part of what I'm going to uh, try to do today, we are in our 20th year this year, and um, I, we're not going to do this for the whole year, just for uh, just a, a little bit, the first part of the year, but um, there were significant things we taught when we started the church that had to do with the promises of God, reasons why we existed as a church. And I just made this statement last night, uh, no church has the right to exist in perpetuity just because it's there. Uh, churches can turn into institutions quicker than anything else can. Do you know what I mean by that right there? And, and really what they end up being is monuments to what God used to do, not necessarily what God's doing now. And we don't want to ever fall into that category right there. We don't have any right to exist uh, onward into the future just because we exist right now. We have the right to exist as long as God is able to use this, as long as God is able to minister. If that ever ceases to be, we'd be better off giving the building to someone who could use it for better purposes than just to sit together and use it as an institution. Um, man, I remember um, being in Vienna, Austria on a mission trip, coming back from Romania right after communism fell. The layover was in Vienna. And what a stark difference between... Um, where Romania was at the time in Vienna. Vienna was like this breath of fresh air. And our missions pastor, Jonathan Murley, this was way before he was our missions pastor. In fact, I was a youth pastor, and Jonathan was in my youth group at the time. And we were coming back from Romania, stopped in Vienna. We have one day, and they have these incredible cathedrals that they had built, you know, 400 years ago and 500 years ago. And the guy that's taking us through, one of them was 1,000 years old. And he was taking us through these incredibly beautiful Gothic cathedrals. Uh, and he makes this statement that stuck in my mind, uh, these two things. The people that built these cathedrals never got to sit in them because it took more than 100 years. 
I thought, how incredible that is to give your life to something you'll never enjoy. That really is doing something for the next generation. Would you agree with that right there? I mean, that's a, that's a powerful thought. But then the guy uh, said this, most of the church is sent empty today in Europe. And they're, we do these tours. That's how they get the money to keep them going. Because at one time, they represented this great move of God that Europe had. And if you were to go through Europe today, Europe, man, had the gospel for a thousand years. How dry is Europe today when it comes to the gospel of Jesus? In many ways, it's, it's, it's a testament to what God did. But we're always one generation away from an experience where it's just a monument to what was and not what is. All right, I'm all I'm trying to say is, man, I never want that to happen for us. I always want it to be now, strategic. God is doing something. That's our reason to exist. So I'm going back um, for just, just a, few, a few weeks, a few messages to talk about the original promises that God gave us. And this is why it's even important to you. It's not because I'm out of material, okay? I just I don't want you to think like, poor guy, 20 years, and he's got nothing else to speak about. I, I have more material. I have more to teach about than I will live years. I can, I can promise you that. Even when I'm up here teaching, I always think of something I want to be teaching on. Um, but there were promises that God gave this church, um, not, not just to me and not to Chris and not just to our family, but it was for the people who would be a part of Jubilee. They're the promises that God had for you, and they are incredible promises. And I think if you can hear me today talk about what it is that God wants for us, I think, man, you'll be able to ask, is this happening in my life? And if not, here's the good news. It's, you're not like going to have to do without. You can have what God said you can have, and you can have it now. We don't have to wait for a year of Jubilee. We live in the time of Jubilee. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I wrote in my notes, they're not in yours. When I started the church, there were four significant supernatural things that happened to me. And that's sort of what I'll talk about over the next couple of weeks. The first one today, uh, I'm going to talk about how I got here and uh, how this whole thing started real quick. And, and um, the, the only reason to do it is to, is to talk about the promise that God gave to our church in it. So um, to set it up. Let me just go back real quick. It was 20 years, six months ago. Actually, seven months ago now that it's February. This happened to me. I'm going to ask a question. See if you can identify with it. If you want it to be rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you can identify with it, you'll make me feel like I'm not the only one. You ever had a time in your life where you had a dry season spiritually? Yes. Just, just, okay. So here, here's what I believe. I can't prove it. You might disagree with this. You might go, you know, I, I can't even believe you'd say something like that, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I think sometimes our spiritual life is not always just on, a, on an up, up, upward motion. I think sometimes our spiritual life can go just like this right here. And it's part of the process of when it, when it dips, God wants you to seek him out. It, it's, if it always stays like this, it's not always the necessity to seek him out. So maybe what you're saying is, well, if you're always seeking him, it's going like this. I'm not sure if that's true. I just think that the way that life works sometimes is it goes like this, and God wants us to experience him in the highs, but he also wants us to experience him in the lows, and both are significant in our lives. And I had gone through a season where it was just very dry for me spiritually. Uh, in fact, I, I've got this scripture. Uh, this is from 1 Samuel. Um, this is when Samuel uh, is still a boy. Uh, he's, he's, he's been brought to the temple. Eli is raising him. He's not yet the prophet that he's going to be to Israel. And it just makes this statement. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. And then it makes this, just this comment. In those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. 
So it just makes a statement that there are seasons and times where it's not flowing as much as it can be in another time. Can you see that from that scripture right there? It was just a rare, in those days at that time, it just seemed like it was rare that it was going on. I was going through one of those times. I just wasn't, uh, I I wasn't hearing it. I would read and I wouldn't get anything out of it. Have you ever ever read the Bible and you just, like, you close it and can't remember what you read? Does that ever, thank you for being honest with me. Because last night the people looked at me like, God, you're the pastor? Yes. Uh, it, it did. It happened. So it would, I, would, I would literally read it and could close it. And, and what did I just read? It wasn't coming alive to me. And that's what the Bible can do. I would pray. And it would sound just like this. Now, not that I hear voices when I pray. But in my heart, I know the Lord speaks to me. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they won't follow. You can know the voice of the Lord. And I was used to hearing his voice. When I would talk to him, he would talk back to me in my heart. He would speak to me. I know his voice. And I went through this time. I would pray and I would not hear anything. Uh, Look, if that happens in a day or that happens in a week, okay. But if it goes on for weeks and then weeks turns into month and then you find yourself in a season where it's dry, uh, it's really disconcerting. But if you're a pastor and you have to teach, that's bad. Because now you are just reaching into your brain rather than into the spirit. And that's a, it's not a great place to teach from, to be honest with you. There needs to be a combination of, um, of wisdom and of the spirit that brings a power to it. And so I was going through this just this dry season. Um, and here was, here was the good thing that came out of the dry season. It drove me to a place of desperation to hear from God. And so when our building would close, and here's where I was uh, a little over 20 years ago. I was a staff pastor at a really large church in northern Colorado, Loveland, Fort Collins area. Um, When the office would close in the evening, we had a prayer room that was open 24 hours. And I would go up to the prayer room. The building's completely empty. And it was was over 100,000 square foot building, so it was kind of weird being in this building by myself. And I would just lay on my face in this prayer room, and I would cry out to God. And I would just, at first it was like, you know, my list. But then after this long period of not hearing anything, I gave my list up and I just started asking, why aren't you talking to me? And I would go every day and I would lay on my face and every day it would sound just like this. I would just hear this deafening silence that was like a roar because I wasn't hearing anything. And I would go home every day and I would be so discouraged And my wife would try to find words to comfort me and tell me, hey, it's just a season, it's going to be okay. It's weird because in those seasons, you start thinking all sorts of weird thoughts. Like, maybe I'm not supposed to be a pastor anymore. Maybe God's done with me. Maybe I've done something. Maybe there's something in my life that's so wrong, God can't speak to me anymore. It's just funny how you go through these weirdo thoughts. But rather than giving up and rather than just getting angry and, and walking away, it just drove me to keep seeking God. It just drove me to keep asking, where are you? What are you doing? And part of that was I, I think God allowed it to happen so that this desperation awoke inside of me. You know, I, to be honest with you, I had a really good situation. I didn't have to be very desperate. Maybe that's good and maybe that's not so good. Because I think God wants us to be passionate and desperate for him. Do you agree? And through this time of just seeking and seeking and seeking and not hearing, man, you can imagine it just, uh, it just turned into this thing of like, how in the world did I get myself into this place? And it was January 15th, 1998. 
And just like every other day for the past six months, when the office closed, I went upstairs and I laid on my face before God. And sometimes tears would just, there were no words. Just burned hot like, God, where are you? And I was desperate. And I remember getting up after praying and hearing nothing. The building's empty and it's dark outside. It's January, so, you know, 4.30, it's pitch dark. And I stood up and at the top of my lungs with nobody in the building, here's what I yelled. God, where are you and why won't you talk to me? Thinking that maybe that would finally... You know, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I've been on the other side of the universe. Let me help you out here real. (laughs) And nothing. In fact, I mean, it was almost like, you know, I could hear it echo off of the walls in in this room. And I walked out of the door and downstairs and out to my car and drove home like I had for six months. And we ate dinner and she knew I was discouraged and... I went to bed that night, um, and everything was exactly the same except for this. I had a dream. And in my dream, man, God came and spoke to me. Now, you might be sitting here going, Pastor, do you really think God speaks that way? I mean, first of all, all through the Bible I can show you that's exactly what God does. And some of you will say, well, isn't that an Old Testament thing? Uh, It's actually all through the New Testament too. But here's the most significant thing I could tell you about dreams and visions. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up to announce that the new covenant is here. The promise that Jesus said, wait for me, uh, tarry until the promise comes. Peter stands up and says this. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon men and women. And your young men and women will see visions and your old men will dream, dream dreams. And upon all flesh, I will pour out my spirit in those days says the Lord. And so if you think that's an Old Testament thing, my friend, it's the beginning of the new covenant that God wants to speak to us in various multiple ways and not just through some uh, office of a prophet, but that we all can prophesy now because of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Do you get, you get what I'm saying on this? And so maybe you're like, if you're confused about that, just, just take me at face value for right now. I'm not saying you have to do these things. But I went to sleep and I had this dream. And here's what happened in the dream. Um... Chris and I had gone to a conference because the person who was speaking had this incredible anointing. And when they spoke, God just did incredible. People got healed. People could hear from God. Uh, There was just this powerful presence of God that was manifest. Now, who was the speaker? Till this day, I don't have any idea. I never saw his face clearly. Don't know who it was, who it represented, what it was supposed to be, but that wasn't the purpose of it. We get to where this... uh, this meeting is taking place, and we got there um, sort of late, and everybody was in front of us. And I was so like, oh, I can't believe we made the effort to get here, and we can't get in there. And Chris is like, in my dream, I told you we needed to be here sooner. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it seems so real. Um, and so in the dream, here's what I did. I said, don't worry, and I took her hand, and I put my elbow like a flying V, and I just made my way right through the crowd to the front. There were two seats, and we sat down right in the front. Right when we sat down, the meeting begins. And the guy's standing on a platform, and there are three stairs to his platform. And the only thing significant about what he was teaching, I don't remember a message. I, can't, I don't know what he looked like. But in his right hand, he held a staff. Now, not like a shepherd's crook, and not like a walking stiff. The only thing I got, a staff. 
And the significance of the staff was that it looked like it was made out of gold that was backlit because it glowed. And as he spoke and as the Holy Spirit was moving, this stick just, I mean, it almost just And I was transfixed on this stick. So as the guy taught, he just held the stick like this. And he would walk back and forth. He would turn. And when he was this side, I could see it much better. And I remember leaning forward and I'd tell Chris, I said, that's what everybody's talking about. That's the anointing that everybody's talking about. And he came down off the platform and he walked back and forth in the front. And when he turned to come back on the platform, I was so transfixed by the staff that I got up behind him and I tried to stand in perfect silhouette and follow him up on the platform. And he stood back up like this and I tried to stand behind him so nobody could see me, just in his perfect silhouette. But I was leaning over like this, trying to look at the staff. And I realized all of a sudden he's quiet. So I look up and he's looking down at me like, what are you doing? And I remember being embarrassed. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I am so sorry. And then I looked out and everybody was looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I am so sorry. So I tried as quickly as I could to get off the platform and get back to my seat. And as soon as I went off the platform, I was holding the staff in my hands. And I sat down and I showed it to my wife. And I was like, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. And suddenly the guy's standing right in front of me. No words are exchanged. I'm sitting, he's standing. I look up at him. And I hand him back the staff, and he says, is this what you want? And I said, my whole life, that's what I've wanted. And he said, you can have it. But he doesn't hand it to me. He raises it above his head and smashes me with it. Now, here's what they say. You ever heard this? Uh, In a dream, you don't feel anything. You ever heard that? You ever had that dream where you're falling, and right before you hit the ground, you wake up? It jars you awake like that? All right. This guy... When he smashes me with this thing, here's what I feel. I feel like my body caught on fire. I don't know any other way to describe Electricity, a shock, a fire. uh, It jarred me awake, and it's morning. And I sit up in bed, and Chris is getting ready, and I tell her, God has spoken to me. And she's like, that's great. What did he say? And I said, I have no idea whatsoever, but I know it was a spiritual dream. Now, so let me just stop here in the middle of this and just say this to you. How do you know if it's a burrito dream or a spiritual dream? Because your question might be, what did you have for dinner that night that was different than another night? And I'll admit to you right now that a lot of times dreams are nothing more than what we ate or what we're going through emotionally. Some people even say, I don't dream. You do. You may not remember it, Give you three things to know about a spiritual dream. How you know. Number one, it's as vivid 20 years later as it was the day you had it. Most dreams you will forget about. But if you have a spiritual dream from God, it does not fade over time. In fact, if anything, it just becomes more clear. Two, if it's from God, it'll never let you go. It will plague you. It will bother you. It will be fuel to you. It will, it will annoy you. It will make you special. It will, it, will, it will set you apart, but it won't let you go. I don't know any other way to say it. It'll bother you. You won't be the same. And last but not least, and this is probably the most significant, if it's really a dream from God, it'll happen. And maybe you have one right now that hasn't happened. Because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not from God. Sometimes things take time. I've got one that he gave me even before this one that still is yet to be. Maybe I'll share it if I get to the end and I have time. But those three things are the significance between a spiritual dream and a dream that's just a 
a dream. I knew that God had spoken to me. So I got up. I got dressed. I was so excited for that day. I went to my office, and I told my admin right when I walked in. This is what I said. Her name was Kathy. I said, Kathy, this, today's the day, man. I've been waiting for this day. God is speaking to me. I have been searching for his heart for so long, and he's got something really special for me today. So here's what I want you to do. Cancel all my appointments. Don't put any calls through. Just take messages. I'll get back to everybody. But this is super important for me to just seek God's face today. I go up to the prayer room. I lay on my face, and it sounds just like this. No, there was no laughter. It was just dead silence. So I've got this clue, clue number one, this dream that I have, but what does it mean? Because, you know, a dream without context, like a word without context, it doesn't, it just annoys you. It's a word in due season that can help you. But without the context, the understanding of it, the interpretation, what is it? So I lay on my face and I tell the Lord, what is this dream? And I hear nothing, which just drives me crazy. So I finally give up and I go back downstairs. And as soon as I get in my office, my admin is trying to get a hold of me. Ring, 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 ring. I'm like, Kathy, I told you, nothing today. And she said, Pastor. She said, I know. But she said, there's this woman that will not give up. And it happened to be an older woman in our church. A woman who I had very little interaction with but I knew who she was and she was a woman that was always at every prayer meeting you know that kind just like a stalwart so why are you laughing about that you know that woman don't you yeah are you that one okay uh um so she she's probably 85 86 years old and because of her age and because of her place in our church spiritually I yielded and I said send her back so she comes back into my office And she literally, without an introduction, without, hey, how are you doing? Or here's what she says to me. John, I had a dream about you last night. Do you want to know what it is? Nah. (laughs) Yeah, I want to know what it is. She said, I saw the hand of God come out of heaven and his finger was pointed and he pointed right down at you and he stuck his finger in his chest and he began to spin like this. And he said, as he did it, he went faster and faster and you caught on fire. And she said, Pastor, it burnt you to a crisp. She said, there was nothing left of you, man. Ashes. Thanks for that great dream. And then she said, but like a phoenix out of the ashes, this new person came up. And she said, you were a brand new man. And she said, I don't know what it means, but you're a new man, John. She turned and walked out of my office. Clue number two. I'm intrigued. You know, I mean, my wife doesn't even dream about me, let alone an 85-year-old woman. So that's kind of a... So I go back up to the prayer room. And I lay back on my face again, and I'm like, God, what is this? I know you're trying to say something, but I can't. what is this? This is so un... Let me just ask, how many times has this happened to you in your life? This is the only time in my life something like this has ever happened. So I'm like, God, I know something's going on, and my heart is so, I mean, turmoil, and just like, ah. Let me interrupt and, and say this, because it'll become real important to you. Um, up until this church, I hadn't had great experiences in ministry. Uh, those of you who know my story, I was raised a Catholic kid. When I became a believer, it was in a small Pentecostal church. And somewhere between being a Catholic kid and being exposed to uh, Pentecostalism, man, was this person that God began to form. And I went to an Assembly of God Bible college, and I was an Assembly of God pastor. But the churches that I had worked for out of school were all very political churches. Now, it's not to say that that's what that denomination is about, but the ones that I ended up in 
were very political. And it would seem within just a year or two of every church I worked at, something political would happen that would knock the pastor out and it would knock the whole staff out with him. And I got to the point where I was just like, God, I don't think I can keep doing this to my family, and I don't think I can take the emotional upheaval of this. So I, I remember I was, uh, I had I'd been invited to speak at this thing in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was sitting in a hotel room, and I knew I was losing my job because the pastor had just lost his, and this was the third time. And I remember saying to the Lord, I think I might just get out of the ministry. And Chris was from Colorado, and I had been raised primarily here, and I told the Lord I'd really like to go back to Colorado. And while sitting in a hotel room, after praying that prayer, a pastor from northern Colorado gets a hold of a friend of mine and calls me at a hotel room in St. Louis. It was like God's hotline just went. And a guy said, hey, uh, I'm looking for a youth pastor. Would you be interested? And it wasn't an Assembly of God church. It was a non-denominational church. And I was kind of like, I don't know. But I go to this church, and it was the best experience of my life. And I was his youth pastor, and then I became his associate pastor. And that man loved me, and I loved him. And it took me three years to unlearn everything I knew and then three years to learn. And here's what he said to me. I'm going to retire, and I'd love for you to be the pastor here at this church. And my goodness, I couldn't imagine. It, was, it would have set me up financially. It would have been, it was the third largest church at the time in Colorado. It was a wonderful situation, and I couldn't have imagined a better thing to do, and that's what I had set my sights on doing. But then all this other stuff started happening. Now, it becomes important for this reason. I'm back up in that prayer room, and I'm laying on my face, and I've got these two clues. And again, I wait to hear something from God, and it sounds just like this. And I got up, and I went back downstairs. And I'm like, God, this is really great, but until you tell me what it means, it doesn't help me. It just, it's just driving me crazy. And the phone rings. And my admin says, I'm sorry. But there's a lady from Wyoming who won't take no for an answer. She's insisting on talking to you, Pastor. Will you talk to her? Her name was Diane Eggie. Now, so that I give full reveal here, I did know who she was. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, her kids were in my youth group. They had graduated, already gone to school, graduated from college, and they had moved up to Wyoming, and I hadn't seen this woman in years. It's not like we talked. I didn't have a relationship with her other than years ago when her kids were in my youth group. And even then it was... Intermittent. She headed a ministry called Women's Aglow, for those who might know what that was. And she called me up and she said to me, John, I had a dream about you last night. Do you want to know what it is? This is weird, man. I said, I do want to know. The book of Isaiah. She said, when Isaiah was commissioned by God, it paints this really incredible picture. An angel flies in front of the throne of God and takes a live, they call it a live coal. Like for those of you who have those barbecues where the briquettes, when they turn real red and they glow, that's the picture in the Bible. And so it's a, a live coal, and the angel takes it uh, right from in front of the throne of God and flies over to where Isaiah is and touches Isaiah's lips with it and burns his lips. But from that moment on, everything that Isaiah speaks is what God put in his mouth. Not what Isaiah had in his mouth. And she said, an angel last night grabbed a coal and I saw him burn your lips and there's a new word inside of you, John. And she says, whatever it means, man, just receive it. Now, again, let me just ask you right now, do you even believe what I'm saying? Because some of you, I know you're, I know if I were sitting here, I'd be like, hmm, was marijuana legal back then at those uh, <laughs> times, Pastor? What, uh... 
I just want to, it doesn't matter. It's not my job to convince you of anything. But this might be important. Your ability to believe in the supernatural might be an open or shut door for you to receive the supernatural. If you don't believe God does these things or can do these things, how can they happen for you? So she says this to me. And again, I get back up and I go back up to the prayer room that I've become so familiar with over the last six months. And now I've got these three clues and I just pour my heart out again to God and I'm like, God, please, what does this mean? And finally, 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 the Lord says this little sentence to me, what does the staff mean? Now, man, I've been to Bible college and I'm a pastor. I know the Bible fairly well. And the only staff I can think of in the Bible is Moses' staff. And I know exactly where it is, Exodus chapter 4. So I flip real quick in my Bible. And if you remember the story, here's what it is. God calls Moses in front of a burning bush and just simply tells Moses, man, I've got a deal for you. I need you to lead people out of a slavery position. Will you go for me? And Moses makes every excuse in the book for why he can't do it. Things like, why would anybody listen to me? I don't speak very good. I'm not tall enough. I'm not good looking enough. I don't have the right credentials. I've never led anything before. I don't have anything to go to. Nobody's asking me to do this. And God never, ever argues with Moses or tries to qualify Moses. God does the strangest thing. He just says, what's in your hand? And the only thing Moses had in his hand was his staff. Here's what's interesting. God will never ask you for anything you don't already have right now in your hand. He always starts with what you have, not with what you don't have. And your willingness to give what you have is what God uses for the bigger things in the future. And here's all God says is lay it down in front of me. And Moses lays his staff down. And if you know the story, God uses it to do supernatural things. Here's what's weird about it. As long as it was laid in front of God, God used it supernaturally. But as soon as Moses picked it up, it just turned back into a stick. And as soon as I saw it, here's what the Lord said to me. This church and your future, in your hand, it's a beautiful thing, but it's just natural. If you'll lay this down in front of me, man, I'll do something supernatural with you right now. If you'll give it to me, I'll do something supernatural with you if you won't pick it back up. Let me lead you right now. And I knew instantly what it was. Give up what was in your hand. Give up this church and give up this position and give up what you think your future is. And I knew instantly, you need to leave here. God's calling you to something that's new. There's a group of people that need you to lead them into something. There's something you don't even know right now if you'll just be willing to follow God. And in a short time from that, man, from that point on, it literally changed my life. If you don't believe in dreams, you're sitting in one. You're sitting in one right now. Right during that time, I was teaching a series, listen to this, from the book of Leviticus. Here's the biggest question. Can anything good come out of Leviticus? <laughs> you ever done a one-year Bible reading plan? You start in Genesis. It's pretty interesting. You get to Leviticus. You're dead in the desert, man. Exodus slowed you down. and Leviticus, you're like, water. <laughs> Leviticus 25 has one of the more interesting teachings in Scripture about God's plan and purpose for humanity. Um, for Israel, they would count off uh, six years, and in the seventh year, 
this interesting thing would happen. They'd let the ground rest. They'd live off what they had saved up. And in the seventh year, man, it was to represent the freedom of God. You, didn't, you, you rested from labor. You rested from, from debt. You rested from, from all of the things that the world you know, creates that you have to live in. And they would do that seven times seven to get to the 49th year. And in the 50th year, they would have the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was an interesting year because if you owed anybody anything in the year of Jubilee, you were released from your debts. Wouldn't it be great to write on your visa bill, Jubilee? Yes or no? Would you love that right there? To write on your mortgage, Jubilee. So there were three promises in the year of Jubilee that were absolutely significant. I was teaching on these things at the time. All of these experiences happened. They all culminate for one thing. And the Lord says, I want you to start a church. It's called Jubilee. For some of you, you thought the name was silly. I've had people tell me it's so hard for me to invite my friends to Jubilee. But let me tell you why it's Jubilee. I wasn't looking for a name that was cool. I wasn't looking for something that was just natural. I didn't need that. I already had that. I was looking for something supernatural that represented something God wanted to do specific. It wasn't supposed to be generic. It wasn't supposed to be like everything else. It wasn't supposed to be just another competitor amongst a group of many competitive churches. It was supposed to be completely its own thing, representing a deep desire to serve and love Jesus and lift that up and the promises of God. And here are the three promises of Jubilee from the book of Leviticus that are really cool. The first one is just simply the ram's horn, the shofar would be blown in that Jubilee year and they would proclaim freedom throughout the land. You're free. You're free from debt. You're free from slavery. You're free from all the things that people have put on you. You can be what God said you can be. You can do what God said you can do. Freedom is here. God, how important is freedom? People fight and die for freedom in the natural, but how important is spiritual freedom? The Bible says it was for freedom that Jesus set us free. His whole purpose to die was to make you free. And why would you live with anything less than the freedom that God has for you? And if we could ever tap into the freedom that God has for us, man, you're not living till you get into freedom. There are people that fill churches every Sunday. They'll go to heaven because they love Jesus, but they don't live in the freedom that Jesus died to give them. And I can want that for you, but until you know you can have it, it doesn't help you. So proclaim freedom was one of those powerful things. Man, that was a whole message in and of itself. The second one was just simply recover the promises of God. Uh, for the Jew, it was this. The land, when, 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 when they went over the Jordan into the promised land, God said, here's the dimensions of the land, and then he gave them this instruction. This is a forever promise. Now, when I say forever, it's about 70 years. But when God says forever, yes or no, it's a different forever. So God said, I'll make a covenant with you forever, and the covenant is defined over this promise. This land belongs to you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. He even told Israel, you can't give away the land. You can't sell the land. You can't, you can't. So even today when we hear people say, trade the land for peace, do you know that's a, it's a conflict to what God told them to do? Now, whether you like that or not, or whether you think I'm wrong or political, that's not my point. I'm telling you what God said about that land. It represented their promise. And so for the Jew in the year of Jubilee, no matter where you were in the, in the world, you returned to the land. You returned to the promise of God. And if you had mortgaged your land, you got your land back. And what it simply represented was this, that in the year of Jubilee, you could have the promises of God in your life if you wanted them. The things he promised you, you could have. And the last one just simply was... 
No matter where you were in the world during that year of Jubilee, you came back to Israel because you were to return to your clan and to your family. It was to be a time of family. And so the three things that God told me, man, build this church on these three things. Proclaim freedom every weekend. Proclaim the promises of God every weekend. And proclaim that it's a family every weekend. So when we say things like, this is a place where you can recover and discover the promises of God, that's not some slogan I read in a book. God gave that to me, but not for me, for you. These promises right here, as good as they are and as exciting as they still are to me, they weren't for me. They were for you. Like the promises of God for family. So that was two of my five kids at the beginning of this message, Daniel and Amy, who are both pastors here. I had no idea they'd want to be pastors. No idea. God gave me a promise when we started this church. And the promise belongs to you too. From the book of Isaiah here was what I was really worried about. God, if I move my children right now and I'm wrong, what will happen to them? Because I know a lot of pastor's kids who are really messed up. And I didn't want that for mine. And this is what the Lord said to me, Isaiah uh, 54. Your children will be disciples as taught by the Lord himself and great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. And here we are 20 years later and I look at my kids and if you want to know if God's promises are real, just real quick, look Maybe I can fool you, but my kids couldn't. That'll betray everything, whether I'm telling you the truth or whether I'm lying. All of my children are in really good places spiritually because of the promises of God. You can have the promises of God. How are your children? How is your life? How is your hope and how is your faith? And if you are like sitting here thinking, Pastor, of every question you could ask me, don't ask me those questions. These are not things to make you feel bad. I'm poking at you right now to say to you, these promises are for you and you can have these promises because here's the significant thing about the year of Jubilee. It wasn't just an Old Testament thing. Jesus, the very first time that he ministers publicly, Luke chapter 4, he stands up in the synagogue and he quotes. The Bible says that he opens the scroll, he searches the scroll, he finds the book of Isaiah 61, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news, uh, to set at liberty the captive, to proclaim freedom to those who need freedom, to open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, to heal the brokenhearted. And then it says this, and to proclaim the year of God's favor, which is a direct reference to the year of Jubilee. Jesus is the permanent Jubilee, if you get it. We don't have to wait 50 years or live in Israel or be Jewish. If you love Jesus, man, you have a permanent Jubilee. The promises of God are yours. You're set free from the power of the enemy, and you belong to a family, whether you know it or not. And so going to church, man, is not just church. There's a whole promise that's involved in it. And when I think back over how it began and the things that God said, and I ask myself, man, God, have you done those things? I can think of stories where God has done remarkable things in people's lives. People that, <laughs> marriages that have been saved, people that have been healed, people that have gone to heaven and received healing that way, uh, people whose lives were transformed, people, people who, who, who have seen God do remarkable things. And I can think, though, of a lot of people, man, who just, like, have been around it, and it never transformed them. So, so maybe I said everything I just said to come to this point right here. Um, if the promises of God are yes and amen, and they are true, and they are for you, and you're not living in those things right now, here, here's my question. 
if I could teach you how to live in the promises of God, if I could show you how to possess those things, would you want to know? Would would you want to know? If you wouldn't want to know, it doesn't matter. But would you want to know? Okay, you're going to have to come back next week because I'm out of time at this point to be able to do that. And I don't mean that as a funky cliffhanger. I literally am out of time. But here's the thing. There's not a formula to it. So if you come back next week thinking, what's the three things that will help me do this? That's not how it works. It is through relationship. And in some ways it is through desperation. Not just living your life and not just letting things go by, but actually saying, okay, I'm going to possess that. You know, Israel, God had promised, but until they were willing to possess the promise, wherever they put their feet, that's what belonged to them. But until they were willing to put their feet there, they had nothing. It's not enough for me to say it right now. What do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? If you're content to get up and just leave and go home, that's not possessing anything. All I made you was a little smarter. I didn't open up anything spiritually for you. Did you hear what I just said? Preaching that just makes you a little smarter but doesn't open up a spiritual door for you doesn't help you. God wants you to possess the things that he said belong to you. And I can be really passionate about it, but if you're not, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Where are you at with what I'm saying? We all get to decide. And we're all at different places. And it's all going to hit us in a different way. But if our main purpose is to come together to love Jesus and focus on Him, and everything else is secondary except for we're going to love Jesus together, then man, in loving Jesus are these great promises that God has for us. So maybe, maybe your prayer just simply today is, God, <laughs> make me desperate. Make me care. Move my heart. If you've lived long enough, you know there's nothing you can make your heart do. But you can say to God, do this in my heart. If it does poke you right where you're at, then here's what you should say. God, help me step into those things. Help me possess those things. If you're at a place where maybe you've lost those things, man, what a great time to recover. And if you're hearing for the very first time that God has things for you, what a great day to discover. But either way, it all puts us into this one place where we need to go before God and just say, God, help us. So would you pray with me? Father, this is really where, um, God, I can't convince any more than I've done. And really no human, no human can move this to the realm that it needs to go. This is where flesh has to stop and it has to become spirit and life. And your words are spirit and life and so take it to that place right now for people. Lord, for those that don't have what you said they can have, speak to them about that right now.